0: Good morning, good to see you this morning. Isn't it wonderful to be able to worship our Lord together? We're doing a series on the book of Ephesians and today we're up to chapter 3 and we're looking at verses 1 to 12. You know, isn't it amazing how God often does something out of left field, something that you would never, ever imagine? For example, John Wesley, the great revivalist, He was a graduate of Oxford University. He was a highly educated man. But God sent him up into North England, around Bristol, around the coal mines. And he preached to basic, uneducated coal miners. And they received the Lord, and revival broke out. And in a similar way, God picks Paul, whose name was Saul, who was one of the most educated people of his day. He was a Pharisee. He'd gone off and got all this sort of special education. And the old system was that no one could approach God unless they went through the Jewish temple where there were priests and special rooms and sacrifices were required. But here's Paul, a leader in that organization, who ends up being commissioned by God to take the gospel to the Gentiles, to the people that aren't Jews. And yet, he loved those people. He cared for those people. He was able to share the gospel in a way that they could understand. And that's what we're looking at today. There's two things we're looking at today. If you look at verse 1 from our reading... And it's very interesting because this verse is translated differently in different versions of the Bible. So if you look up there, the King James Version says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ. And then in the English Standard Version it says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Jesus Christ. So the question is, was Paul a prisoner of Jesus or a prisoner for Jesus. There's a massive difference. And the right answer is of. He was a prisoner of Jesus Christ. That means that Jesus, it was God's will that he was in prison. It's, um, he could, um, He could have easily said, look, I'm in prison because Nero, the emperor of Rome, has put me in prison. But he's prepared to say, I am crucified with Christ. Next verse. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in this body... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So here's Paul. He's saying, I have been crucified with Christ. I've died to self. The life I am living is the life that God wants me to live. And if I'm in prison, it's because God is directing my path and he wants me to be in prison so paul doesn't feel sorry for himself or see himself as a poor unfortunate victim you know many believers they want a savior they want god to save them from hell but they don't want to be a prisoner or a servant for god but paul understood who he was in christ and he knew his role in God's plan for the church. Paul spoke several languages. He was highly respected amongst the intelligent people of Rome and Jerusalem. But God stripped him of his earthly status and now he's calling himself simply a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And to be effectively used by God we also need to be prisoners or slaves to Jesus. And that means that we do what he tells us to do, regardless of any personal sacrifice involved. We allow the Holy Spirit's leading and God's word to prompt us and to guide us in everything that we do and say. And and then Paul goes on in verse 3 and talks about how God revealed to Paul a mystery. Now, we all like mysteries, don't we? Another word for mystery is secret. We all like secrets, especially when no one else is supposed to know about it. And so Paul was given this secret by God. And the secret was that Gentiles could now come directly to God. They didn't have to jump through all those hoops. They didn't have to go through the Jews. They didn't have to go to the temple and sacrifice a lamb. There didn't have to be a high priest that could take the sins of the people into the holy of holies. Now Paul could minister directly to the Gentiles and they were on equal terms with the Jews there was no hierarchy there's no hierarchy now whatever nationality you are from you have equal access to God with everyone else that's here today and so God had a new program of uniting believing Jews and Gentiles and into one body called the church. And this secret affected everybody on the planet. And Paul was so excited that he couldn't keep quiet about it. What an incredible privilege to share the good news about an eternal relationship with the God of the universe. And so everywhere Paul went... He told people about it, and he was seeing thousands of people transformed by this good news and seeing their lives absolutely changed. Paul was a salesman who completely believed in his product, but Paul was in prison because he'd been accused by Jews of bringing Gentiles to God. Now, Paul could have watered down his message and sort of you know, compromised with these Jews and sort of said, well, you know, you're still God's favourites. But he didn't do that. If he'd done that, he would have been released. He could have got out and he could have evangelised to more people. In Acts chapter 19, it tells of a time when Paul was in Ephesus before he was put in prison. And it tells of a time when many of the Ephesian people, the people who this letter has been written to, were converted to Christianity. But the problem was that in Ephesus was the temple of the goddess Diana. And silversmiths made little emblems of Diana and they sold them to tourists or people that took a pilgrimage to Ephesus to go to this temple that was one of the wonders of the world. But because everyone was becoming Christians, the silversmiths weren't able to sell their little charms to the tourists and so they were losing money. And in verse 29 it tells us, the city was filled with confusion and they rushed together into the great theatre. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd but the disciples would not let him. Now the next picture is of that theatre. You can go to Ephesus today, and you can see this theater that holds 29,000 people. It's amazing. It really is amazing when you think of how old that is. That was around before Jesus was on the earth. Now, this is the problem. Paul's in Ephesus. People are turning to Jesus. The silversmiths are upset. And so all the silversmiths and all their mates... They swarm into this theater, this amphitheater, to determine what they're going to do about their problem. Paul's solution to the problem was he wanted to get up in the front and preach. He wanted to share the gospel with them. He's seen God transform the lives of people. He knows he's got the mystery. He's got the key, the formula, and he thinks If I get up and speak, there's going to be a massive evangelical service. They're all going to get this revelation. They're going to understand this teaching that I'm bringing. And the whole town's going to come to the Lord. Would be awesome, Peter. But the other disciples said, No, it's wrong. Who was right in that situation? Who's hearing the clearest from God and the safety in numbers you know I'm really glad that in this church we have elders I know some pastors who are very autocratic and they call the shots I don't want to do that it's good to have a body of godly people around us in leadership so that when we make a decision we can talk it through and we can seek the mind of Christ because in the eyes of two or three or more are words confirmed. So if we're seeking the Lord's will, it's better to have godly people around you. And sometimes we can be impulsive, we can be instinctive, and we can make a wrong decision. Paul could very well have got gone into that theatre and started to speak, and the crowd could have got so enraged that they could have stoned him to death, and that could have been the end of Paul. And so there are times when we need the wisdom of other people around us. There's, uh, so the writers of the New Testament, they also use the word slave to describe themselves. All the people that have written letters and books in the New Testament refer to themselves as slaves. And in those days, the Greeks had slaves. And a slave was a lifetime occupation. If you were a slave, you didn't just work 20 years and then get free. A slave was you were indebted to that person. He owned you. You worked for them for your whole life. And they didn't even thank their slaves. It was the slaves' duty to look after the needs of their master. And so they weren't even thanked. And that's what God requires of us. He wants us to obediently do those things that God commands us to do. And we're not to think too highly of ourselves. Because really, all of us are just unworthy slaves. We all know the Frank Sinatra song that says... I did it my way. And that sort of attitude is greatly admired in our society today. People like to think, I'm in charge of myself. I don't need anyone to tell me what to do, not even God. But a slave to Jesus Christ says, My life belongs to my master. Let his will be done in my life. And so a slave accepts the experiences of life as God's training program to grow him and refine him, to develop godly character within him. And so we need to embrace those things that God either causes or allows to come in our lives. That's not saying that everything that happens in our lives is God's will. Sometimes there are things that happen and we sense in our spirit that we need to pray into that situation. When we were living overseas, our son decided that he was going to come and visit us. And so he flew to China, but the plane was delayed and he missed his flight to Azerbaijan, to Baku. And so um, he was told, well, look, we'll put you on the next flight. And he, he thought, oh, well, that's all right, I'm in Beijing. I'll go and see the Great Wall and a few other things. The next flight was two days later. And then he goes to get on that flight, and they said, oh, sorry, it's full. And he said, look, you promised me that you'd let me on this flight. I've only got 10 days holiday, and I've already wasted four of my days, and I'm, I'm wanting to see my parents. And, and so he rings us on his phone and says, look, the flight's full. They're not letting me on. So I go online and look at a travel company called One Travel, and I see that that flight that's supposed to be leaving in half an hour still has tickets for sale on it. So I bought a ticket online, sent it to him, and I said, take that up to the desk. And he goes up with his ticket. Where did you get this from? I just bought it online. You told me there were no tickets. And thankfully they refunded the ticket. Uh, But he got there. And sometimes we have to realize that there is some intervention that is not of God, and we need to move in those situations and do what God's wanting us to do. So how does being a slave to God fit in with our status as sons and daughters of the Father? Sons and daughters of the King? You know, the Bible emphasizes how a loving father disciplines his children. Let's have a look at a few verses about that. Hebrews 12, verses 5 to 7. It says, Do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? John 16:33. I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Job 5, verses 17. Blessed is the one whom God corrects. So do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. And so God expects us to trust Him, even though we may not fully understand Him at times. I read a story of a a young woman who was an exceptional violinist. And she was interviewed by a a reporter and he said to her, have you at your age, how have you at your age attained such ability in playing the violin? And she shared about her childhood and her single-minded devotion to learning and playing the violin. She had deliberately neglected anything that was not related to her becoming a better violinist. And God desires and requires our full focus and our obedience in a similar way. In Acts chapter 20, verses 19 to 24, Paul said to those leaders in Ephesus, he said, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly from house to house. So there were times when Paul preached in meetings. There were other times when he went house to house. There were other times when he spoke to people as individuals. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Now, if that was me, I'd be thinking, oh, that can't be God's will. He doesn't want me in prison. He wants me out here so I can talk to people. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And so we don't know what God may call upon us to do in this life. What our life involves in our future. And in Matthew chapter 20 verses 25 to 28. Jesus called his disciples together. And he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. But that's not how it's to be with you guys. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so serving one another as a body, as a family, is a characteristic of a life overflowing with the love of God. It's easy for us to look at our own situation, our own convenience, rather than for what is God's will and purpose in a situation. A lot of you have heard of Joni Erickson. In 1967, when she was 17 years of age, she dived into Chesapeake Bay and broke her neck and became a quadriplegic. She has been confined to a wheelchair ever since. It took her a very long time to come to terms with her tragedy. But she's written books that have inspired millions of people. And this is what she said in one of her books. She wrote, Today as I look back, I am convinced that the whole ordeal of my paralysis was inspired by God's love. I wasn't the brunt of some cruel divine joke. God had reasons behind my suffering and learning. Some of them have made all the difference in the world. And in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 to 8, Paul writes, I am a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to set captives free. He wanted to tell people of the way to God and salvation. And so here he was, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. To the depraved, idol-worshipping Gentiles. You know, Ephesus was one of the sleaziest cities in the world. It was full of polygamy, incest, orgies. It was a place where men and women lived for their own satisfaction, to please themselves. But there was no arrogance left in Paul. He regarded himself as the least among the saints you know as Saul of Tarsus before he became a Christian he murdered Christians he was filled with hatred towards Christians but now he considers himself completely unworthy of God's mercy and grace his name King Saul was the name of the first king of Israel but God changed his name to Paul. Paul means small. Some some believers think that they're doing God a big favor by allowing him to come into their lives. But a spirit of humility is required to receive the sort of revelations that Paul received and to fulfill God's call on our lives. Paul expressed his attitude in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 14, where he said, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, Most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fiercely. Hear that? The palace guard, the guys, the soldiers that were chained to him in prison became Christians. Here's Paul in prison, but he can't help himself. He's got to share the gospel with everyone. And so the palace guard knew the message. And also, other people in that day and age, they became on fire for the Lord as well. They thought, well, if Paul can go through all this, if God's using Paul, even though he's in prison, we can step up. We can put away our fears and we can stand up for God. Verse 12, Because of Christ and our faith in him, We can now come fearlessly into God's presence, assured of his glad welcome. Have you ever been sort of sent to someone important and been a bit nervous about it? You don't know why you're going there. You think you might be in trouble. I remember when I was at intermediate school and um, we used to have to line up for woodwork. And a lot of the classes, when they were lining up, kids would write their names on the the wall of the woodwork room, the outside of the woodwork room. And one day the woodwork teacher, he goes around, looks at his wall. It's a disgrace. He looks at all the names on there, gets all the kids whose names are on the wall and and brings them back to the woodwork room and says, OK, you guys, you're going to be hosing down, cleaning up my building. And most of my mates had their names on the wall. And at interval time, they came to me and they said, oh, we're having a ball. You know, it's much better than doing maths. What say we go back and we write your name on the wall? And when we're cleaning the wall, we say, look, we found Armstrong's name on the wall. Why doesn't he have to do this as well? So they put my name on the wall. Next moment, I get a call from the woodwork teacher. And he's really mad. That name wasn't there before. Go and see the principal. Well, thankfully, the principal was quite understanding, but for a while, I was quite nervous about what was going to happen to me. But imagine being summoned into the presence of God. It sounds like a fearful, terrible thing, but we have been given permission to come boldly into the throne room of God and to obtain mercy and grace in our time of need. Now, some people go on a tour of the seven churches of Revelation and the church that is closest to the Ephesus church is the church known in the Bible as Smyrna and it's called Izmir today. And a, a man, a godly man called Polycarp lived in Smyrna. And he was a disciple of the Apostle John. And he was appointed to be the bishop of Smyrna. But when he was 86 years of age, he received word that the Roman officials were coming to arrest him. He could have hidden. But he invited the soldiers to come into the house where he was staying. Then he was arrested And he was taken and interrogated by the local judge, who said to him, deny Christ, and I will set you free. Say that Caesar is Lord, and your life will be spared. And he replied, 86 years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my King and my Saviour? The soldiers grabbed him to nail him to the stake and burn him alive. But Polycarp stopped them. He said, leave me as I am, for he who grants me to endure endure the fire will enable me also to remain on the fire unmoved, without the security you desire from nails. He prayed aloud. Then the fire was lit. And the flame blazed furiously. Eventually, when those wicked men saw that his body could not be consumed by the fire, they commanded an executioner to pierce him with a dagger. His death had a powerful impact on everyone and was spoken of for many years and is still spoken of today. And so after encountering God's glory... We realize that there is nothing we can do in ourselves that will make us worthy of heaven. There is no logical explanation as to why God would welcome sinners such as us. But the key is in the words, because of Christ. And our God is a gracious God. He is a God God. Of grace, and the word grace is an acronym, G R A C E. Says God's um, Christ's, sorry, um, God's riches at Christ's expense. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a gracious God. Lord we acknowledge that we are unworthy Lord you could have wiped us out but you gave us a second chance and Lord we accept the free gift of Jesus we thank you for Jesus paying the price for our wrongs for our sin and Lord just like Paul had a revelation of who you were and he was able to pass that on to thousands of people and see their lives transformed. Lord, open our hearts to see you as you really are, to know that you are a loving God and that when we reach out to you, Lord, you come into our lives and you change us and transform us and make us a blessing. Lord, I pray for every single person here today that they will be faithful to your call on their lives. We pray for anyone here that may not know you as a personal Lord and Saviour, and we ask that they take that step to know you today. In Jesus' name, amen.